G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Pod Slam 98 with Matt Rowley, uh, sponsored by strike.com.au, uh, Australia's biggest supplier of uh, Bluetooth carb kits. I'm back in the chair, managed to get rid of Timsy for a little while. Uh, with me is uh, Scott Allen. Scott, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm really good. Good to talk to you. Good to have you back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Timsy's been doing such a great job, it's not easy to get back in the chair these days. <laughs> Uh, it's getting competitive as we get towards show number 100. Indeed. But I also couldn't have an all-Queensland you know, cast tonight. Um, that would have been just too much with what's been going off on the website from the weekend. Uh, because joining us tonight is uh, James Slipper from the Queensland Red. G'day, James. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. Mate, quite a weekend, but before we get stuck into that, and I mean, because what a game. You know, we haven't had you on the podcast before, and we, we kind of like just starting off asking people kind of, how they got into rugby in the first place. How did it all start with you, mate? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Basically, my, my rugby experience started back in, in school. So um, just through the school I went to um, up on the Sunshine Coast, um, yeah, obviously the, the option was there to play rugby, and I, I did it to make friends. And you know, I kind of carried through every year since then. Um, yeah, just loved the game, loved the game, and... and um, you know, found found some really good friends, my friends. And and was front row always for you, or did you go through other positions first? <laughs> um, many people will probably you know, find this hard to believe, but I started at five eight, okay. and then um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, and then, not one of those ones you know, who thought... finds it hard to believe, James. <laughs> I can imagine, um, and then uh, quickly moved into number eight, and that's where I played the majority of my junior rugby, and then. Um, you know, towards the end of school, like first fifteen, I kind of made the switch into the front row as I was getting probably a tad too big and couldn't really keep up with the play. So that's where I turned into a front row. Mate, do do you, do you hanker back from that for those days when the wind used to blow in your hair, or are you happy with right where you are now? <laughs> oh, mate, I'm, I'm no, I actually do love the the hard work. Um, something I pride myself on and. Um, I think I'd have too much time to think about things if I was sitting there in the back line. <laughs> Mate, being the ex-fly half, were you the one uh, who taught Liam Gill how to kick? <laughs> no, no, that's not me. Definitely not me. Well, we did we did have a comment on uh, Facebook, actually. I said, look, we're going to come on and we're going to have a yarn with you. And, and there was someone saying that, you know, you've, you've, you've got a a good boot and a turn of pace. So um, there you go. <laughs> to to whoever, whoever, whoever noticed that obviously was picking up on, on some of your past. <laughs> but, mate, um, I, I know, Scott, actually, I think you were going to ask this one, so I've stolen it from you. But talking about front row, and it's a, and it's a question, actually, uh, that um, somebody also uh, answered. It's Luke Ter- Terracini asked on uh, Twitter, actually. Um, Oh no, sorry. That's I've I've, uh, I've I've jumped ahead. It's it's Greg, um, I Gregzy on Twitter asked, "What's your favourite position, loose or tight head?" Um, you know, it's been that's an interesting question because you know I played most of my rugby at Reds at tight head, and most of uh, my Wallaby games have been at loose head. So mm-hmm. Growing up, a boy's been thrown in the tight head purely because we had no tight heads, and 
Um, I, I do find loose a lot easier um, and it feels a lot more natural for me. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm in the team to, you know, obviously I want to win, win games and if that's that tighter, then so do you. So, uh, yeah, I don't have a, don't really have a preference, but technically if I, if I did, it'd be probably loose head. Okay. Mate, do you find it hard switching in the middle of a game from side to side? No. Nah. No, I don't. I don't if I do the work during the week. You know, if I keep up to date with, if I keep you know training on both sides and um, just keep reminding you know myself of the techniques that are involved in the switch. You know, I'm more I'm more than capable. I'm I'm fine and comfortable with the switch. At, you know, during the game. Do you find that that change between the two is more of a mental thing when you go to tight head and you've got a lead in compared to your role at loose head, or or is it a physical thing? Yeah, I guess you could say mental. Um, you know, just rem- remind yourself, you know, what your your job is to do. You know, you, you, as a loser, you can't go, you know, you can't just go off on your own and scrum, you know, and try and um, take your man on without the rest of the scrum behind you. You know, you got to wait for your tight end to come through. And I guess that's the main thing is just, as a loser, just working with the rest of the forwards in that scrum. And, and mate, who over the years, you know, has probably influenced your game the most as far as coaching in in in, in the propping position? Um, in the propping position, um, when I first started out, Alec uh, Alec Evans had a big um, seeing that ultra on the Southport score. He was down there a bit and at the Gold Coast breakers, so you know, he always popped in. Um, there was also Mark Bell, who was you know, uh, one of their Reds coaches when I first started there, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two were the ones that really helped me at the start, um, and then obviously at the moment we got Tony Darcy at the Reds, and and um, yeah, we're we're definitely improving as a scrum. You know, obviously we still got a lot of improvement to be to be had, but you know, everyone who I've everyone who's coached me has you know, brought their own sort of aspect to the game. And um, last year Andrew Blaze with the Wallabies helped me a lot at tight end, especially so. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been pretty lucky. You know, I've had a wide range of coaches help me through this round. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty good names you got there as well, as far as in in the game in Australia. Yeah, exactly. So I'm you know, very privileged, obviously, to have have those coaches around. And and mate, there might this might sound like a bit of a, a strange question, but you know, the guys who read the site, we do have a lot of uh, props and ex-props um, on the site. They're obviously the smarter guys who know how to use a computer and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but um, you know they love it when we when we talk detail. So, as a, as a question, is there any? Let, let's focus in on tight head then. Is there any one little tip or piece of advice that any one of those coaches or maybe anyone else has ever given you that kind of has just stuck with you and you think you know if there's any one thing as a tight head that I remember and you think about and you've maybe gone back to time after time um, that you can share with us. You know, any one little tip or way of thinking about propping it at tight head that you kind of think about? Yeah, oh, that's a tough question. Um, I'd say my main, my main problem when I do scrum at tight head, I, I, uh, I find it, you know, very uncomfortable, you know, in the setup, the whole thing. As Lou said, I'm a bit further back, I'm more tucked in, and it's a bit more comfortable. So mentally, all I have to think about tight head is, you know, you, know, you pretty much just got to work for 10 seconds, just, mentally get prepare for, you know, like a little a battle. And um, one thing that uh, every coach that has helped me has said is um, 
you know, obviously don't want to set up, try not to move your feet, especially on the engagement. You know, the more feet we have on the scrum, on the ground at that that point in time at, on the scrum engagement, the better you'll be able to hit through the hit engagement. So if there, if there was one thing I had to say that I've kept that whole time is making sure my feet are on the ground at that point of engagement. Right, okay. I mean, obviously when you're anchoring the whole scrum for your side as well, that's going to be pretty pretty important that you've got a good purchase, I guess. Is it as simple as that? Yeah, exactly. And I had I had a bad habit, you know, I was on the engagement. Of course, I wasn't feeling comfortable. Um, I'd, on the on the engagement, I'd lift my, both my feet up and try and get them further back at, at the same time that I was trying to get across the space. So um, at the end of the day, what you're after is a heavy hit. And by me doing that, wasn't creating a heavy hit. So um, that's something that, you know, I'm still working on to, uh, these days. Well, look, I mean, these are the sorts of things that sound like simple things, but uh, I can imagine anybody who's out there propping at the moment uh, would make a lot of sense to them. But sorry, Scott, did you, did you, you going to jump in there? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, well, James knows this well. At the moment that you take your foot off the ground at any time during the scrum, that's your most vulnerable point. So, you know, that's why you've got to keep those feet on the ground. But, James, I was watching the, uh, the Waratahs and the Chiefs on Friday night, and the Chiefs' uh, tight head, uh, Tal Mofina, I think it is, the. 137-kilo yep. guy. He was having lots of complaints with the referee that, you know, he thought the scrum was too close. And as you know, as a tighthead, you know, you want a little bit of distance so you can get that hit, not give that pesky yep. tight, uh, loose head the advantage to get down underneath you. But there is a, a trend yep. where the referees are sort of pulling the packs closer together on with a view that that will stop resets. Um, are you finding that, that they're, they're just getting you closer and closer? Yeah, well, it's something that we worked out at the Reds. See, we're actually different. We, our, our pack, seeing that we're, you know, quite, um, you know, we're a bit smaller than the rest of the packs up front, and we, we try and close that gap and nullify that big hit. Um, but it, you're right, you know, a bloke 137 kilos, once he's time and space, you know, he, so he can get his weight forward and across the, across the advance line in that scrum, and, you know, I'll watch the game as well. And Ben, I know Ben Robinson pretty well, and he likes getting up real close and, and not letting that tight end lie right out. So, yeah. you know, well, I mean, that, through the years, especially with the new engagement. Sorry? That's how the loose head gets his advantage, isn't it? If he's in close, then he can get in underneath you and leave it straight up. Yeah. Yeah, See, when I'm at loose, I like getting right up in his face. You're just brushing on the weekend there, Scott, as well. Mate, what a game! What did it, what did it feel like out there at the end when it when it was all said and done? Did you guys feel like you'd got there? Did it was it one of those ones where you'd kissed your sister? Did you feel disappointed? How did you personally feel? Personally, I was um, you know I was kind of heartbroken. You know, no one runs out there to to lose or you know draw a game, and it kind of felt like there was no result at the end of the day. But you know, um, there was many positives coming out of that game for us. Um, also, you know, some, some areas where we probably, you know, should have improved upon and obviously there's been a lot of talk about going through the three points instead of those quick taps, which, uh, we did look at and looking back now that we probably shouldn't have, should have taken, but, um, personally I, I, I felt, you know, not happy, but, you know, somewhat, you know, I was happy with how the team went, especially under that sort of pressure, um, yeah, that that uh, that level of rugby was it was a great game, and it was pretty hard on the body. I can tell you that. Oh gosh, those hits! I mean, uh, 
God, the Brumbies didn't give you guys any 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 space, did they? And they really came at it on the on the line. But um, you know, just going back to those uh, penalty shots that you guys turned down to put the pressure on. I mean, like it's. I mean, you know, obviously you're saying in retrospect maybe we should have taken it, but was that a, a deliberate game plan you guys went in with? I mean, there's a lot of talk before the game, and obviously there's been a fair bit after as well, I've got to admit, um, about, and, and it looked to me like maybe you guys had said, well, look, you know, you're going to put the spotlight, spotlight a little bit on the Brumbies there and turn that pressure up. So, you know, rather than releasing the pressure valve with the kick, um, you know, put the pressure on them and the, and the ref. Now, it obviously didn't turn out the way that you would have liked ultimately, but was that something you guys had gone in and said, look, we're going to give that a go if we're in that situation? Yeah, we did. We, you know, we did speak about it. Um, one thing was clear that we wanted to play rugby, um, and I felt like we did that at, you know, at long, long amount of time. And um, at the end of the day, we didn't come away with enough points to, to take the win. And um, you got to look back at the chances where you probably should have just, you know, been a bit more conservative and and uh, and gone for those three. But we did want to play rugby. Went into that game, you know, putting a lot of pressure on their kickers, which we did pretty well. And, um, yeah, we try to make them play out of their own half, which they never do. So that's what we'll try and do. We'll try and give them something different. Um, we we're never going to play in our own half. And yeah, so, you know, we did speak about it, but, um, you know, what can you say? A draw's a draw. And, um, you're always going to look back after every game and look at parts of the game where you should have, obviously made a different decision or taken a different um, option. But, um, yeah, we went out there to play rugby, and I, I, I personally felt like we did that. Yep. And, James, coming into the match, everyone had talked about, you know, the strong Brumby scrum and how you guys would go uh, competing against that. I did some analysis today, and I'll put um, I'll put a piece up on the site tomorrow. But, I mean, of the 12 scrums that were decided, I thought you guys were dominant in six three were neutral and three, the Brumbies were dominant, which, I mean, you guys must have been happy with the performance, particularly your side. You you put a lot of pressure on Ben Alexander. Were you guys happy with the scrum? Yeah, going into the game, we knew, we, uh, we knew they had a strong scrum. You know, they got a they got a very good front row on a hard-working back five. So, and, you know, against quality teams throughout the year, they've done really well. So, you know, we knew what we were up against and, um, we were a bit angry about our round one performance against them. So, obviously, in that first half, we started pretty slow. We were a bit tentative, and yeah, you know, back three came off the scrum pretty early, and they kept the ball in. And then, you know, when that happens, you're in trouble. So, but towards the end of the game, we, you know, we really got in there, stuck in, um, and then, yeah, you know, we started getting some pay out of it. So, at the end of the day, um, I, I still, you know, I, I'm. I probably wouldn't say I'm happy with it, but we're definitely improving. And you know, we got oh, we've got scrums in the morning, so we'll be tamed after putting our three outsides in in the morning. But um, hopefully, to try and improve again, because what we're looking for is 100% 100% ball, no penalties. Yeah, and good. And you know, obviously, you were keeping the ball tight. You know, particularly when you were down on the Brumbies line for so long. So that meant there was a lot of work in there at the. Uh at the ruck situation. And one of the great stats that I picked up today was that if you look at which players were first into each breakdown, you and James Hall will top the count. So the number of times you were first in the breakdown was actually equal to Jake Schatz and Liam Gill. So there's one you can give them tomorrow. 
<laughs> so that, that was a really good work rate from you. Yeah, well, mate, as I said earlier, it's something I pride myself on. You know, I give away a lot and um, not a lot, but you know, I give away a bit in, in the um, in the size compartment. But, you know, that's what the Reds are about. You know, there's a four-pack full of workers. No one, no one stands out too much. You know, we just get the job done and that's what makes our back look good. So... Um, just hearing that stat, you know, it makes me feel like I played well, but yeah, obviously not well enough to to get the win. Should have gone for a drop goal. <laughs> and the other thing was that you you've had a lot of eighty minute games this season. Um, is that something you really focused on trying to get through the whole game and keep a certain work rate up so you don't die off at the back end? Oh, I wouldn't say I don't die off at the back end, but um, <laughs> you know. Ever since I really started playing with the Reds, I've been playing mostly 80s, so um, I've got a sneaky suspicion that that might finish this weekend, but uh, I, I really enjoy going full, the full length, and um, I just love playing rugby, and I love being out there, and especially when the final whistle goes when you get a good win. You know, there's no, nothing better, so... Um, yeah, but it pays a, pays a toll on the body. I'm pretty sore. It takes me until about Wednesday these days to feel good again um, and then you just you know, go into another game and, and wreck and wreck it. So, <laughs> well, um, mate, that's yeah. obviously age catching up with you being such an old man now. Um, I'm feeling older every day. <laughs> well, prop will age you, I should imagine. Um, but, mate, um, look, just moving on then and, and talking about, you know, Wallaby stuff coming up, uh, there's a little bit of action coming up this, this year. We've just kicked off our whole look at the Lions. Um and actually, uh, Sucker for Red is somebody on uh, Twitter, and she's asked uh, a serious a, a serious question. Are you looking forward to the British and Irish Lions? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I've only come in every 12 years, and there's, there's no, no reason why anyone should not be you know, excited. Um, we're talking about the best players from the UK, and, and um, it's going to be a very hard-fought fought series. And, you know, I'm... I'm just hopeful to be be a part of it. To be honest, uh, you know, I'm not. I'm, I have no guarantees of being selected. So the best thing I can do is play well for the Reds, and you know, whatever happens, happens. But I, I just can't wait for it. I, I've never seen a Lions game live or anything. So mm-hmm. um, to be a part of one would be a dream come true. Because how old would you? How old were you with when, when the last tour was on? Uh, I was. It's been 12. about eleven, were you? Eleven, yeah, eleven, twelve. Okay. So, do you, do you have many memories of it? I mean, of it, you know, of, of it kind of happening. Yeah, I do. I, I have the. I've got a memory of uh, the the Brisbane Test match at the Gabba. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really remember details, but I do remember the crowd. Just the one thing I came away from it was the support the Lions had. Um, you know, playing this far away from their own homeland, and they still busted up. You know, seventy five percent of the the crowd. So. Um, uh, it's going to be very hostile, hostile come June, but it's something you know all players enjoy playing in front of this you know big crowd and a very vocal crowd. And, you know, just be it's good for rugby. Remote another Wallaby question: What was the logistics camp about that you just had? Was it just lots of photos, or did you get to have a bit of a chat about some tactics and the plans for the year? Yeah, well, front rowers don't really get asked for many photos, so I didn't have to do too much, but. <laughs> Um, we did we did go over you know some stats and from um, like annual stats like 
season review stats from last year, where we sat in certain aspects of the game compared to other teams, other countries. Um, and it was pretty interesting, actually. So um, they pointed out where we want to improve on and, uh, um, you know, stuff where, you know, we want to keep doing well and um, that kind of stuff. So it was pretty much just saying hello to everyone and just uh, everyone, you know, keeping up to date with everything. And um, the main the main point was just to make sure everyone's, you know, Curing themselves that come June, there's going to be a battle on. Well, Matt, how does it work? Do, do, do they give you a diary or something for the year where you've got all your dates scheduled in, or they just start emailing that stuff to you? Um, they just email or phone call. Uh, they do have a master calendar, but you know things change all the time. So these camps that have been happening, I, I haven't had too much notice of them. You know, like a, a couple of days before, they'll just say, "Yeah, yeah." We know it's going to happen, but we don't know if we're in it until you know, a couple of days out. So it's been pretty, you know, close to the check. So I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah. And do you have much contact during the super season with Robbie Deans and Andrew Blades, or do they leave you basically to do your Reds thing till you get to these sorts of camps? They basically leave us to to the Reds. Um, I do speak on occasion with Blades purely just for my own my own. Um, skill set at the scrum see how I'm going because he's a really good scrum analyst and um, you know, he's, he's a really good coach so I do speak to him um, not that often but I do you know, every time I do see him and he comes up to Brizzy and watches the scrum um, you know, every couple of months so besides that not much contact at all uh, just one thing I always believe in is you know, you've got to play well at the red before you can be even considered so that's what I'm concentrating on Mate, um, so I've just got some speed questions. So it's a bit like speed dating, but with questions here. Um, from Off uh, Facebook, the guys have uh, given us a few. Um, this one's from Ian Daly, and I can uh, assure you this guy is a Mads Reds fan. Um, who smells worse, Sire or Chibber? Sire. Yeah, I think I'd heard about that. Is this, is this around the hair? Yeah, it's terrible, mate. It's terrible. Okay, <laughs> I've heard there's a lot of it, and it doesn't get washed very often, is what I hear. Um, no. All right, so that was a quickie. Um, all right, who do you think is currently the best prop in the world, and why? And this is from Paul Dominius Latu. Oh, I'd have to say Nicholas Mars from France. Um, he's a he's a small bloke, but he's one of the most powerful scrummages I've ever come up against, and his technique through the scrum as a tight head was. Something personally I've never seen before because I was so young when I first played him. Yeah. But yeah, he really opened my eyes. Was that on that tour? Is that when yeah, you... it was in uh, 2010 when we beat him by 50. Oh, right. Oh, that's yeah. right because it, that, that was the game that kind of flipped, didn't it? It was quite a tight game and they actually had a bit of had, had us under a bit of a pump and then it broke out in the second half. Is, is that right? Is my memory right on that one? Um, I'm pretty sure we scored in like the first like, couple of minutes mm. through uh, James O'Connor and I think we just Drew Mitchell got a hat trick, and it was just uh, it was a great game to be a part of. It was, you know, it was a shame we didn't do that last year. Okay. All right, and then I've got another one here. Is uh, this is from Josh Wise? He's bringing you a bit closer to home. Who's the toughest opponent opponent you've played against in the Australian Conference? Mm, the Australian Conference. I'd have to say Ben Robinson. Yeah, Benny. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> 
So the next two are quite similar, I think, and so I'm going to roll them up. Jamie Sprague asked, who ate all the pies? Um, but um, I'm going to go with Anthony Fatsies, who asked, who at the Reds eats the most at the buffet? Digby, uh, Ioani. Get out of here, really? He, uh, he just yeah, he just doesn't stop. Um, Luke Moran also eats a lot. It's a shame, you know, like you'd think, you'd think I'd be, you know, getting down the most, but... yeah. These boys just eat and eat and eat, and they just don't put it on. <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, you surprised me there. Um, but anyway, mate, look, we've, we've taken the time. Uh, thanks so, so much for coming on. Um, you know, I guess a, a pity, but it was a titanic struggle, and I think what everyone, you know, from whatever side they were from watching that game on the weekend came away with, it was great to see two teams playing really, really well. Very different styles of rugby, obviously, but... You guys went hammer and tongs, so it was great to see. And congratulations for that. And um, you know, good luck with the rest of the season and with the Wallabies coming. Hopefully, mate. Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. No worries. It was a pleasure, James. Thanks a lot. Good to talk to you, mate. All right. Right. Great chat there with James. Uh, Lovely bloke. Uh, interested to hear his viewpoints on the sides of the scrum he likes to he likes to play in there, Scott. Yeah, look, a lot of guys actually find it quite difficult to switch from, during a game because, as he said, it's completely different. You know, Tighthead is out there on his own; he's leading it in, um, and he has to be the first one to actually engage. Whereas at loosehead, as he as he said, you know, you sit back with your shoulder behind the hooker and you, you're back. You know, a fair way from your tight head, mm-hmm. um, and I, I've noticed guys who switch halfway through a game. You know, can take two or three scrums to get, sort of change what they're doing. Uh, I know guys can change week to week, but uh, I guess he's right. If you practice it enough, then you know you can get used to any of those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like it's one of those things that's so drilled in. You know, he's he's he's, he's done it so much. Um, but, you know, it, it just kind of comes back to him straight away by the sounds of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, sounded like a lovely guy as well. Um, he's, uh, I know he's obviously, he's up and around the leadership group there at, at the Reds, so um, um, he's obviously a, a bright guy too. Um, so, look, uh, you know, Timsy's not in the chair, so we might as well go chronological because obviously... Uh, He's not here to disorganise things. Um, but what a weekend of rugby we had. Uh, I think it's been interesting, you know, the, the, the website and the forums have just completely gone off this weekend um, with comments and some of it rage and whatnot. But I think one of the things that some of the karma heads kind of said was that, you know, whichever way you look at it, and this, this was mainly probably from people who were neutrals to the, to the Queensland game, I guess, um, is that you know how good how good was it to see you know th- at least three teams playing really good rugby that uh, you know was top level stuff I know Scott you mentioned it on a podcast recently but and whenever we've been talking in the early rounds and I, know, I remember you saying oh geez when we come up against these Kiwi teams and other teams can we can we match it and it felt like on this weekend you know we saw some great stuff um, really top draw stuff and it made Picking team of the week um, you know, continues to be a hardship where it wasn't in those early rounds. Uh, what, what do you think of the rugby? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the pleasing thing is that, as you say, it's a number of teams. Mm. Uh, you know, the Reds, the Brumbies, and the Waratahs all played really well. 
and they all they all played differently. Um, so you know there was no one style that worked. They each went with a style that worked for them, but they played well enough that you could look at them and say, if any one of those teams is in the finals right at the pointy end, they will be more than competitive with any team in Super Rugby Comp. Yeah. So we really built into it very nicely. I mean, early on, let's face it, it was only the Brumbies. Mm. The Reds were pretty slow to start. The Waratahs were, I would say, you know, almost dreadful. Yeah. But both the Reds have, have eased their way up. The Waratahs are coming ahead in leaps and bounds at the moment. So, yeah, three good sides. Really, really good for Australian rugby. Yeah, no, it, it, it is indeed. And... Um, uh... It's it's been amazing to see. I mean, you know, we had Tane Randall. Uh, we we touched on this on the site today. Uh, you know, ex All Black writing a piece there for in one of the newspapers in New Zealand, sort of saying, you know, he's thinking that we've got their numbers, these Kiwis numbers, because we're up now to I think we've won seven out of nine games against Kiwi opposition. Um, who would have thought that at the beginning of the season? And some of you know, two of those wins against the Chiefs, for example, uh, and one of them against the Crusaders. So it's not all against the dud teams. Um, and his point was he feels that we're probably playing smarter rugby. Uh, you know, it's not just all about just constant attacking, but being able to p- play in variable, variable styles, which I guess talks to what you were just saying. Yeah, I actually think the Waratahs are playing more like the New Zealand teams than the Brumbies and the Reds. Mm. In that, yeah, for, for whatever reason, the New Zealand teams are just throwing everything they've got at attack. And the Waratahs are doing that as well. And it's just not happening. The, the number of errors in the New Zealand conference is incredible. Mm. You know, they are, they are so skillful in terms of the whole country's got lots of skillful rugby, rugby players, but their error rate is just amazing at the moment. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, it, it was that case as well with the All Blacks. So last season, for example, I mean, they've, they've been carrying a, a high error rate for quite a while. They've just obviously, they were able to especially in things like knock-ons. Um, and, you know, that's what obviously you pay for, you know, with the sort of offloading game that they had with Sonny Bill, etc. But um, I guess whereas the All Blacks were able to then switch things up, maybe having Dan Carter at 10 helps with that. It looks like these Kiwi provincial teams aren't able to make up for it this year. Yeah. I, I was coaching with a guy a number of years ago and I, and I looked at our error rates and, you know, as I said to him, you know, we really got to work on these errors. And he is a very experienced coach, and he made the point to me that, yes, let's try and drop the error rate, but, you know, you get errors because you're trying things. If you're really safe and conservative with the ball, well, you're not trying anything. And at the end of the day, you know, his view, and and I share that view today, is you've got to attack to win rugby. Mm. Um, I know that's not the case in a World Cup final, etc., but, you know, generally, the team that attacks really well um, we'll be trying things, we'll make some errors, and then you get the days where the errors aren't as bad. And the Waratahs in that second half against the Chiefs, you know, there was an example. They kept playing, and all of a sudden the ball started to stick. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good lead-in. Let's talk about that, that Tars versus Chiefs game. Um, this is the second Tars game I've managed to get to, home game I've managed to get to this season. Another win. Uh, so, you know, that's got to say something to to the guys as far as, um, I can I can send them my address for my free membership if they'd like. Um, but, uh, you know, they uh, dispatched the Chiefs 25-20. The first half, uh, even in the crowd, I think I might have got a, a text from you saying, 
oh my God, what what is this rugby that the Tars are playing? What a what a forty minutes! Oh, it was brilliant. It was really really good rugby. My only fear, and I think I said it to you and a number of others, was that they don't go back into their shells at half time and say we're leading by what was it fifteen nil at half time? Yeah, that they start you know shutting down and. To a certain extent, they did start to shut down. You know, the kicking went up, and I think Checker made the point that, you know, we started trying to play a different game. And that let the Chiefs back into the game. Although, as well as the Waratahs played, I thought the Chiefs, they're, they're not very good at the moment. They've been getting worse every couple of weeks. Um, some of the, those two kicks that Anscombe put out straight after halftime, we put them out on the full. I mean, the coach must have been looking at that and just been horrified. You know, which team is this that's playing? Yeah. But the great thing about the Waratahs, and, and I, when the Chiefs scored that try with, what, four minutes to go or something, mm. I had tweeted that, uh, you know, that looks like momentum will probably mean that they hang on. It'll be hard for the Tars to come back from here. But they showed belief that we haven't seen to come back from that. And they did it by moving the ball around. I mean, there was lots of good movement in that attack lead up to that last try. Mm. And they got payback for it instead of going into their shell and trying to shut it down and go into pick and drive and sort of get there over the line. So I thought it was a, a win full of character. Um, and that could be a real turning point for the Tars now that they do believe. Yes. Now, it does feel like uh, whatever that you want to call the system is that Czech has been running with them. And there was a great quote from him, actually, that Lee Grant uh, pulled out from the weekend. Uh, hang on, I might just stumble a, a little bit while I try and uh, pull that out. Hang on, let me just, let me just get that. Because I think it, I mean, it, was a, it was a quote from the presser um, that Lee Grant pulled out, though I didn't see anywhere else, although I didn't necessarily read a lot of the papers. Uh, where is it here? Here it is. Coach Michael Checker said... Um, we're actually better at getting in the other team's half by running as opposed to kicking. When we try to game manage a little bit, we're no good at it. We're not real game manage. We're not a real game management managing team. We'll play our style for now until we get really good at it. Then maybe after that, we can think of throwing in a, a few different things. So he's keeping it pretty damn simple, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> they do occasionally look to drift back to some, you know, hark back to an earlier day. Um, they particularly did that game that Beric Barnes played. The first 10 minutes, I thought, you know, he just hasn't played enough under this system. But Foley in particular, um, he is adapting to this system. Mm. And, you know, obviously che he, Checker has made the point that he's been doing a lot of work with him. And the simple thing, like the commentators called it on the match, you know, the way he flattened up for that last try. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds simple, but if you haven't been doing it and you haven't been playing that way, um, I mean, someone like Quade Cooper plays flat a yeah. lot. He's used to it. It's a natural instinct. But when you haven't been doing it, and if you consider a Kirtley Beal or a Berwick Barnes, who, who just aren't natural fly halves, for them to step up and play flat when the time comes, which is, you know, when the opposition's on the back foot, you want to flatten your attack up and take advantage of it, not give them time to come up. It's not a natural thing. He's starting to get that. Mm. And you know, I see there's real potential to build that team around him. Yeah, he's. I mean, he is. I guess one of the stories. I guess of that team as it's progressed through the season, and it's probably. I don't think it was an accident that they had their best forty minutes um, on Saturday when I felt in watching him, he suddenly started to me to look like a fly half. I guess you know partly with what you were just saying, the ability to play flat, 
um, you know, he'd take on the line. And then he could start to use some of these other skills he's obviously got, you know, around the offloads. He gave two absolutely sublime offloads um, in attacking movements. And then obviously then there was the crossfield kick um, that Falau took beautifully. But, you know, as Falau said, I think in a quote, it was perfectly weighted. And I just felt, you know, suddenly Foley started to look like a guy who was actually, you know, uh, kind of starting, starting to run that back line a little bit or at least facilitate it a bit more. And then the other thing that we saw, which I know that you've been waiting with bated breath um, for evidence of, is uh, these, um, you know, uh, attacking moves from first phase. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that uh, I was just having a look at some numbers before we came on air tonight, and I have been harping on um, the fact that they've had problems at the breakdown. They're not getting into the breakdown fast enough. And I've put, you know, 90% of the blame on that on Dave Dennis. Mm-hmm. Because Hooper's been doing, you know, a fair amount of work. He's been doing a lot of tackling as well. Dennis has been dragging the chain on that. But this week, um, Dave Dennis was fantastic in that regard. He actually stepped up to the level that the other back rowers. So if I look at all of the breakdowns that they were into, he was the leader in the team. So first into the breakdown more than any other player. So he had 13% of the breakdowns where he was first man in. He's been running at 4% for the whole season. Wow. So his involvement allowed Hooper to just do what he normally does, which is uh, he was only 6%. But he's, he's been around that number all year. So I still don't think that's enough for a seven, but he plays in a different way. Mm. The other guys that stepped up, uh, Wycliffe Parlu with 10%. Mm-hmm. So the fact that those two back rowers were doing the bulk and the brunt of the work at the breakdown let Hooper play a little more of his natural game. And uh, Tatafu, he was at 10% as well. So, yep. you know, those guys, it started to change for them, the breakdown. And as a result, they can retain their ball. Yeah. And then they can play ball in hand and start to attack rather yep. than keep turning it over at the breakdown. So things are starting to click for them. Well, it's interesting. I, I guess I've just started to understand as well, I think, you know, what uh, Cheek has been looking to do there, which is that, you know, saying, you know, it's not just about fitness, it's about work, you know, and work rate that you put in. Uh, and you can you can be fit, but if you don't mentally get what it is you need to do next and what you should be doing now and don't understand why that is, you want to do it. And I think he had a quote about Hooper uh, this weekend saying that, you know, part of the reason he looked so much better was he didn't have to carry so much of the back row work that they should have been doing. And I think that's probably alluding to what you were just talking about with Dennis, right? Um, and so and all of a sudden, Hooper looked like a different player. I mean, with a few too many grogs in me on Saturday night, you know, the guys who stood out to even my fuddled brain at, by that point, and I wrote down, I thought Hooper had an amazing game. And what he started to pull out were those kind of match-saving steals. You know, there was a few times when the Chiefs were hot on attack and he just managed to pull that thing out, which the Tars had got, which had gone missing for the Tars. So and you know and, and obviously his running game which which uh, which is good at um, I thought Fat Cat had a great game uh, we touched on Foley um, to the point where um, you know I, I thought he uh, had a shot at uh, Team of the Week and then obviously there was Israel Folau, um and he had a great game and one of the things I mentioned to people on, uh, in one of the comments uh, during the, on the, over the weekend was when you're at the game watching him play. One of the things is he's got this quality where the whole team just kind of, kind of get, you know, draws breath when he gets hold of the ball. 
um, there there is that real excitement factor that 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 he brings to it, and he you know he really I mean you know he he had yet another great game I thought on the weekend, but he's I think kind of like uh, Foley's looking more like a ten. I think Falau's really starting to look like a rugby player now. Would you agree? Yeah, if you go back to the first or the, the podcast this year before the first round of Super Rugby. I said to you on that podcast that I thought he'd be a sensation and he would be a Wallaby this year. Mm. I then, you know, after the first few rounds, started to think, gee, maybe I overestimated um, how quickly he'd learned the game. But he has got better every single game. You've noticed development. And I, I thought his game the other night was great. When he took that high ball from the cross kick, I tweeted, yep, he will be a Wallaby for the Lions tour. And I believe he will. Yeah. And I... I believe he'll be the 15. Mm. Well, um, he, he was also looking, I thought, a lot better in, in uh, defence as well. And I, uh, in his positional play as, uh, as well, he kind of uh, seemed to have a better understanding, you know, when to kind of uh, tuck in and, 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 and when to kind of uh, make, make more of an attacking play. Are you getting the sense that he's, he's getting a, a better feel for where he should be doing and a confidence in his game there? Yes, yeah. And it, look, it's very difficult at fullback to work out where you should be. Mm. Um, 13's the hardest position on the field to defend from. But 15, you know, it's still pretty difficult. And I, I've seen people say that um, he let one of the Chiefs players get away. I think it was Anscombe. Um, but then they covered it up. Um, I, I defy you to show me any fullback that doesn't get caught out of position from time to time because yeah. you've got a lot of territory at the back to cover there. Mm. Um, you know, and some guys like to follow just inside the ball. Some like to try and predict where it's going to go, um, where the ball will go. And you can get made to uh, look like a fool plenty of times very easily. So, yeah, I think he is, as I said, he's getting better every week. He's learning. I've seen people say he doesn't have the kicking game. He can kick the ball very long. Yeah. The reason he hasn't got a kicking game is because the Waratahs don't want him kicking. Yeah. So don't expect to be seeing you know massive kicking meters from him every week. Mm. Yeah. I mean, anyway, yeah, he uh, he looked he looked the deal, and um, th- that time when he chased down uh, the breakaway, I think it was a winger, wasn't it? Uh, who he then tracked right across field and dragged into touch. Um, geez, he showed some pace for a big man to do that as well um, yeah. against one of those uh, chief win- wingers. Anyway, look, looking ahead to next weekend, they're away at the Bulls, uh, playing early Sunday morning. So, you know, if we want to test her to see whether this was a flash in the pan or not, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> that's a pretty good one to see. So we'll see how well this uh, this grind out, especially against a team like the Bulls, who obviously know how to put it on the hoof and play territory. So. That's going to be uh, an interesting follow-up match uh, to see. Um, but in diving to that one, I've jumped over, actually, what was the first game of the weekend, which was the, the force away at the Hurricanes. Uh, they went down 22-16. I've read, uh, okay, admittedly, from force. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I was somewhere where we didn't have Foxtel over the weekend. Um, I've read that uh, the force were in this. It, it was potentially theirs. It was from a force supporters, though. Would you agree? Oh, I don't know that it was potentially. <laughs> yeah, but but not by much. Yeah. They weren't far away, and as you know, with rugby, anything could happen. Bounce of the ball. So yes, they could have got there. They didn't look to me like they were going to be the team to win the match. Mm-hmm. What they looked to me like was a team that was doing pretty well to hang in there. 
and they certainly weren't, you know, bashed around. But, you know, it was, uh, it got out to 22.6 at one stage, um, and that was, what about, I'm looking here, 56 minutes. So, so with 20 minutes to go in the game, you know, Hurricanes are 16 points ahead. So the force did well. They came back. They scored a try, a couple of penalties to get it to 22-16. Um, all credit to them. They held the Hurricanes for the last 20 minutes, not allowing them to score a point. But, you know, when a team's 22-6 up with 20 minutes to go, there is a tendency, no matter how much you tell them not to, mm. to start cruising a little bit. So they did well, the force. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think there's that much to rejoice about. Uh, and any kind of standouts there from performance-wise? Uh, none that come to mind straight away. So oh. that, that probably tells me that, no, there weren't that many. Yeah. Um, as I said, I thought it was a solid performance from all of them. Okay. Uh, Sam Norton Knight, who played well the week before, wasn't as good this week. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a hot and cold performance. Um, if he'd had another hot performance, maybe they would have got closer. Um He's, you know, he didn't let the team down, but they just don't have guys that are stepping up where you would say, what a great game he had. Mm. You know, we just talked about the Tars, and we, we went through four or five guys, maybe more there, that we could say, what a great effort. I can't think of four or five guys for the force. Mm. So solid without being really competitive. Mm. Okay. I mean, yeah, so as it turned out, I mean, we, you know, we asked around and it was like uh, who was going to make the team of the week. It always feels bad if you leave out the force because uh, we don't mean to be it that way. But um, I think from what I'd heard and read from people, it, you know, uh, there weren't a lot of people who put their hands up uh, in, in the game. Did so, we put anyone in the team of the week? Uh, no. no. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, was the, it was the other three teams who, who made it. But, um, you know, anyway, so it didn't sound like anyone had, had broken through. Yep. Uh, Rebels looked a lot stronger this week. <laughs> Four <laughs> points in the bag. Yep. Um, okay, so, well, let's move on to it. So there's been so much talked and written about this game already. Uh, Reds hosting the Brumbies on Saturday night. Um, phew, I mean, you know, battle of two different styles, uh, different philosophies, or were they, I'd say in, in brackets. But anyway... Um, Everyone talking before the game, you know, the coaches got into the into a, into a big battle, um, an amazing game of rugby at high intensity, and then we've had a massive fallout since. Um, have you managed to calm down? And uh, if you have, what, how do you now look back on this game? What what, what happened in it? Um, I didn't need to calm down. I was extremely disappointed in the result. Mm. Not because the Reds didn't win the game, but because it was a draw. Mm. They, they just leave you feeling so flat mm. where you look at and think, you know, what if? And I know James touched on it and everyone's talked about what ifs um, the Reds had gone for those points. I mean, I, I think the Reds had the better of the game. I thought the Brumbies did an amazing job to hang on yeah. like they did. But the Reds, if you look at it, the number of times they didn't take the three points... And when I looked today, you know, there was that crucial 12-minute period where basically the Reds were camped on the Brumbies line. They had seven penalties that they didn't take a shot at goal. Yeah. Five of those were almost in front. Um, but of the seven, and everyone criticised James Horwell, there were four occasions where Horwell made the decision 
not to go for points. Every single one of them, he and Genia had a chat. And and the last one, you know, you can hear Genia on the uh, on the commentary or on the the mic saying, "No, no, let's go again." Mm-hmm. Ewan said in his press conference that they had that was part of their tactic, and even Ben Moen said, "We actually think that when they go for goal, that's their change-up." So we came into the game expecting them not to go for goals. So that that was a clear intent. There are there obviously it's easy in hindsight to look at it and say. Just take one of those and you win the game. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's completely different when you're there and it's all happening. And they had done so well with the driving mall earlier um, that they probably were entitled to think, particularly when the Brumbies are down to 14 men, take another line out and we should score and we've still got plenty of time to come back. But that's the way the, the cookie crumbles. I must admit, I left, uh, I wrote a piece at the stadium before I left which it was just full of disappointment mm. because, you know, and part of that was not what happened in the game. It was the build-up. We were all looking at this and saying, well, whoever wins this is leading the comp, is leading the Australian conference. You know, one coach will have bragging rights over another. And then we got to the point where, oh, nothing happened. Yeah, We didn't get a result. And then, you know, the way that that last 20 minutes went down, stuck on the line, all those penalties, refereeing controversy, etc. That's that's not exciting. It's not enjoyable rugby, I should say. Mm. So yeah, I felt very flat. I, I sort of went home and changed my piece completely mm. because you know the piece that I wrote originally was, well, that didn't live up to expectation. How disappointing! I'm feeling really flat. But then when I looked at it, it was a great game of rugby. Yeah, and both teams did different things, but they did them really well. Yeah, I mean, and then that's one of the things that, uh, you know, like, for example, when I look at the stats that come through, I, I, I think it's a bit too glib. I think a lot of people have said, oh, you know, the Reds played all the rugby and I mean, and, 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 the, and the Brumbies didn't. And, and I guess I guess what they're trying to say, which is that, you know, one side played, you know, attacking creative rugby and the other the other side absolutely different didn't. And I don't know if I actually felt that was completely the case. And I, you know, in watching the game, you're probably right up until about that time when it all got kind of bogged down. But for kind of two thirds of the game, and, and and also in the first half, you know, I thought the Brumbies, you know, they they played some pretty decent phase play, and it wasn't all tight stuff. Um, so it wasn't exactly just pick and drive and and someone, you know, and box kick. Um, yes, there was a fair bit of kicking. It was definitely more than the Reds. But you know, you look at some of the things like you know the number of passes. Um, and you look at you know things like offloading. You know the Brumbies ten offloads versus the Reds fives, um, and like you know with a lot of the uh, you know rucks and malls. Yes, there are more with the Reds, but a lot of those were, were with those um, you know with, with things in tight. Um, you know, and I guess that a lot of that obviously came from that time camped on the line. But I, I guess what I'm just trying to say is I didn't. I think it's unfair to completely characterise this. I don't know as some complete. Um, uh, South African or English or Irish, you know, those times when those teams just decide we're just not going to play any rugby whatsoever and, and this is just going to be high ball after high ball. Um, I didn't, I, I kind of felt that wasn't a complete, you know, a good characterization of the game. And then on the flip side of that, as well as to say, you know, I think Laurie flagged it up to us on the podcast last week, you know, he kind of said, you got two sides that go hard at the ball and, you know, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. I don't think that it's fair at all to characterise the Brumbies as not playing rugby. Mm. Um, 
And even if you say, you know, it, obviously they played rugby. Um, the only real difference from the Brumbies and the Reds is what they do in their own half. Once the Brumbies get in the opposition half, they have a crack. Mm. They play with width. They play far less pick and drive than the Reds do. Yeah. I mean, the Reds were very conservative, and they are more conservative the closer they get to the line. Mm. The Brumbies aren't. They move the ball. The difference is that the Reds will move the ball and run it from their own half. Yeah. Um, the Brumbies won't. The only time they ran it from their own half was where Mog, you know, there was a chase through and Mog was under pressure. He pulled the ball in as he was about to kick it and made a great break. Mm. Um, but that's not the way they play. They don't want to play that way. That's a style they're using. It's very successful for them. That is rugby, though. Don't say that's not playing rugby. It's just playing rugby slightly differently. Mm. Yeah, there was lots of enterprise. The second half, obviously, you know, just it turned into such a slugfest. Um, but I, I, that's not the Brumbies' fault. Yeah. You know, they were on the line and... You know, Ewan McKenzie made some comments about cynical play in the press conference, and I think there was some cynical play. But put the shoe on the other foot. If it was your team defending on the line trying to keep someone out, would you want them to do whatever they have to do to keep their line intact? Mm. I know I would. Yeah. You know, and you just keep doing whatever the referee will let you get away with. I'm not a believer in this, well, they were cheating because they broke the law. So what? That's the game. You do what you can do. And I thought their defence on the line was admirable. Mm. Um, well, but- it was. It was. You know, there was a. You talked about the impact of them. You know, um, take. You know, not taking those kicks. And I think somebody pointed out that you know, in the forum, like you know, if if they just taken like you know, say nine points out of those kicks, um, all of a sudden, you know, that that tactic for the Brumbies wouldn't have had pay. You know, if they if they'd kept walking back, you know, having posted another three points each time. Um, you know, they would have had to stop doing that. Um, so Yeah, but don't forget they went into that game with a tactic of not doing that. Mm. They decided as a tactic, and it was talked about in the press conference, that they thought the Brumbies would do exactly that, take their points, just go back. And Laurie Fisher, you know, alluded to it when he was on the podcast last week. The Reds decided that to counter that, they would not let the Brumbies have a let up in pressure because every time you take three points everyone gets to have a breather you get to talk about your defensive line mm. if you keep taking quick taps and line outs you actually wear the opposition down um and you also you do open up the opportunity for yellow cards for mm. multiple penalties so that was a tactic they went in with um you can say yes if they take in the three points but if they take the three points they go back down and they drop the ball from the kickoff. Who's to say the Brumbies don't go down and get three points or get a try? Mm. I just don't think you can look in hindsight and say, if the ball had bounced this way, or if they'd kicked that, or if he hadn't gone into touch, this would have been the result. Yeah. I mean, there are all the consequences of what happens. Who knows? Mm. One thing I do know, though, is that I don't agree with anyone who was calling for penalty tries in that. Um, that time when they were down on the line there, I didn't see one occasion where there was any justification for a penalty try. Mm. Yeah, that's quite a it's 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 quite a well defined and strong definition, isn't it? Around a, a penalty try, it, it has to be. There's absolutely no doubt that a try would have been scored without that. Um, is the case, isn't it? Uh, it's not actually that firm. And we actually, you remember the one 
um, Hurricanes versus the Blues early. Oh uh, yeah, where the guy ran in front. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and we all we all thought that it was pretty hard like that. You mm-hmm. know, you had to be absolutely sure. And what came out was there's a bunch of guidelines that well, we sh- you'd hope that we all know about, but we didn't find out about until we really dug very hard mm. to find out that it's probable. You know, which and they can't even define probable. Mm. And in some cases, you can even say, well, if the guy wasn't there, you know, the try would have been scored. So, but I didn't see anything that was even that close. Mm. I didn't see a probable or possible try denied by any of the the penalties that the Brumbies gave away. Mm. Um, so, look, you, you've written a, a, what I think is a very comprehensive uh, post about the refereeing. So what I'd suggest to people is go and have a go and have a read of that um, uh, to get right into the detail because I'm just just got an eye on the time of, of the podcast here because uh, I'm sure we could spend a lot of time on that. It it, it was obviously a real uh, point of interest. I thought one of the things in watching the replay, which was nice, knowing that that's what was coming up, was to see the referee management by both captains. Um, you know, it probably didn't end up well maybe it didn't end up in the best way but i tell you one of the nice things was to see was to see two aussie captains and i thought uh, i thought this maybe moen maybe came out slightly better on this but um as far as the referee management i thought was excellent they they got absolutely inside glenn jackson's head didn't they well he he just lost the plot Mm. He, he completely lost control of the game partly because not only the captains but there were Everybody was having their say. Yeah. I think there was. I what I didn't pick this up on the original time I watched it, but today when I was watching, there was a scrum, and Liam Gill said to the referee, "Do you know what you're doing?" <laughs> and I thought, "Gee, you know, you're game saying that to a referee." So yeah, no, he was under he was under enormous pressure. Although I, I, the only thing I, I think actually he was talking to um, oh the, the, uh, Pat McCabe. Because wasn't that the time oh, Pat McCabe was, was packing? Yeah, I think that was. Oh, the, okay. And, and actually, if you have a look at that bit, there's a great because because Pat McCabe actually looks back at him and says no. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay, right. Well, that makes more sense because I was looking at it thinking, did you just say that to the referee? Gee, you know, that's not going to win you any favors. That's a Freudian, but uh, yeah, no, well, there's a brilliant piece at, in, at the 17th minute when actually Jackson uh, changes he, uh, he changes his mind on a penalty. Um, which, you know, he's about to give this penalty to the Brumbies and then he reverses it. And he actually, and so Moen actually gets him to apologise. And I thought, yush, 17 minutes, if you're apologising to the, you know, uh, to the players, then uh, it's all going to go downhill from there. But anyway, I recommend listeners to go and have a read of Scott's uh, post that he put up today because that goes into quite some detail um, about what what went wrong there. But look, you... I think just, just, we just quickly summarise that. Yeah. Go back to the Bledisloe test in Melbourne in 2010 when Drew Mitchell was given a red card. Mm. And he was given a red card because he got two yellow cards. So he infringed the first time. And then there is an automatic uplift. When you make the second infringement, it goes from being a second yellow directly to a red. And at the time, everybody said, that ruined the game, 14 men, you know, disaster. But everybody said, no, well, we know the law. The law says second yellow card means a red. What people don't know, and this is the only difference in this game, they don't know that the law has exactly the same provision for a team. So after that yellow that happened, 
Brumby should have started getting reds. And that's where the whole thing comes down to. People just don't know that that law exists. Mm. And if they did, they'd look at it and say, we don't like the law, but it is the law. And yes, they should have had red cards. Yeah. Well, as if they start getting enforced, then people see it. And that's what changes behavior, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So it's well worth having a read of that uh, and, and understanding that. But, but you raised this. Um, it was from, that, from the weekend and from that game was um, Jesse Mogg's performance. Because one of the things, remember when Mogg was, was, was injured and the Brumbies, who did they play oh, just a couple of games ago when we said they were all flat and they had no um, attack? It was the Kings, right? It was the Kings, yeah. And Mogg was out. And one of the things that I just really felt when you watched that, you, you, you started to realise just how important Jesse Mogg is to the Brumbies. Because he gives them, I, I would, you know, I would venture to say, you know, upwards of 50, 60% of their um, uh, sort of, you know, their, their incisiveness, of their, their ability to break through. And on, on, the, on uh, Saturday night, he really showed that, didn't he? He was, he, was, he was, as somebody wrote, one of the commenters wrote today, you know, he was quite simply electric. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and his kicking game, if you think about the way the Wallabies will play, they will want to kick the ball. And he's got a great kicking game. Mm. But, yeah, his attack, he is electric. He's so quick. Mm. But on top of that, this week, now, everyone said, yeah, yeah, but, you know, he can't defend. Um, he pulled off two try-saving tackles this week. Yeah, isn't it funny when people say, you know, Rob Horn can't pass? <laughs> or Ashley Cooper can't pass, yeah. or Quade Cooper can't defend, or Jesse Mogg can't defend. They're all they're all rubbish comments. They yeah. can. They're, sometimes they're not called upon to do it. Sometimes they make decisions not to do it. Yeah. They can all do it. He, he's more than capable. I I haven't seen enough instances of him not defending well to say that he's not a good defender. No. Oh, I don't because I I must admit I thought I was just me. I'd missed it. I'd missed a game where he'd had a shocker. Um, no, I think a lot of that came from early last year, mm-hmm. and and Jake White, in his press conference the other night, we we uh, asked, somebody asked him a question in the press conference about how Mog had grown. He made reference to when the Reds and Brumbies played at Suncorp last year, mm-hmm. and he said halfway through, um, or early, sorry, not even before half time, not even at half time, uh, Stephen Larkham had sent him a radio message saying, "I think we'd better get him off because it wasn't going well." And Jake White said, no, I want him to stay on. In fact, I want him to play the 80 minutes. This is the only way he will learn what needs to be done. Mm. And he has come a long way. So I think people might be referring to his early days when he was pretty green as a Mm. super rugby player. Mm. I don't think they're looking at what he's doing at the moment. He looks a pretty complete player to me. Mm. Well, and like, you know, those three things which... So we had a headache this week, and I think this creates a conversation that uh, you wanted to talk about a little bit as well is, uh, you know, you had Izzy versus Jesse uh, for the team of the week position. And one of the writer's suggestions was, well, we'll move. And I noticed that uh, Paul Cully for the, uh, for the Herald or for Fairfax did this, is move one of them to the wing. Um, which for me, though, when you're picking a team of the week is a fudge. So if they've both played to a fullback, you've got to pick one of them, even if it means that a great player doesn't make it into that team of that week. Um, and it, it was a toughie, but 
you know, for me anyway, and I, we ended up giving it to, to Mog this week, um, was that completeness of his game that you mentioned. Um, you know, there was the attack and those runs he made. There was the one that he made around the, around the side of the ruck um, was at such pace. He just thought it was, it was something, it was just Houdini. He pulled off at least two try saving tackles that I saw. And then, like you say, he's got that left boot, um, which has just got great range on it and just... I mean, I don't think the Brumbies could probably... Well, I guess they got Nick White, but I don't think they could play the game that they're playing without him. Well, they had Nick White when they played the Kings, and you saw the impact that only having one of them yeah. made, where they were a bit flat and they couldn't play their normal game. Mm. And I didn't get a chance to look at the team of the week before it was decided this week, but I mean, and I would have gone... My vote would have gone to Israel Folau by mm-hmm. a bee stick, mm-hmm. basically. The two of them are looking really good, and I don't think... The arguments about you know starting with a rookie at the back, um, I don't think they carry any water. Mm. They are in such good form that one of them would, or both of them, would have to really fall off the cliff in terms of form for them not to be selected, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I mean, so there's an interest. There is the there's the what you would select, and there's the what you think will be selected, right? And with Deans's form, what do you think here? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can see that happening in time for the Lions. Can you? Oh, I can. I can see Falau. I can't see Mog. Yeah, yeah. I can. And, and, and I don't agree with that, but I can't see him going with Jesse Mogg. Mm. Um, I think he's almost got to the point where he's, in his mind, picked Falau. Um, and it's just a matter of, is he on the bench or is he going to start? Mm. And I suppose what happens with Kirtley Beal may determine that. If Beal gets back and plays really well, you know, and he's in the mix, there's another option for 15. Does Beric Barnes get back? Because there's another 15 option. But if neither of those guys really get back and show any form quickly enough, it will not surprise me if he goes with Israel Folau. I, I don't think he's going to go with Jesse Moore. No. Well, yeah, and there are 400,000 reasons maybe why Izzy, <laughs> Izzy would be ahead. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> Um, you know, not actually. From what I've heard, though, not necessarily that drives a lot of Dean's selections. But um, if you would think someone in the AAU might have that thought, um, but but who really knows what drives those selections? <laughs> yes. hey, the other thing that came out of that game, just to finish off on that game, yeah. was Laurie Fisher and some tweets that he's put out. Yeah, well, he had a cracker um, beforehand, didn't he? Where he, he kind of said, "Well done to Link for um, you know getting that article going." Um, but I know you picked up a couple of articles I haven't seen. What, what were they again? They're crackers. Well, well you know, I, I'm always tweeting with Laurie. I think he's a fantastic guy and a great coach. So I watch what he's saying pretty closely. But he's been, you know, he's not political or, you know, topical on things. He's talking more about, you know, I've seen this game and this is what I think about it. But just in the last week, yes, he started chiming in. So things like, uh, you know, unusual late scrum penalty, uh you know, when we win the hit and their tight head pulls us down. Um, he then started saying, uh, I think Paul Cully had written an art- a tweet to him that said, oh, I didn't think that you were as cynical as they thought. And, you know, he came back and said, uh, finally, a voice of reason. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, and then he started, you know, to have a little bit of, uh, today he's had a little bit of fun. And he came up with one uh, where he said, I was really privileged to be at the game on Saturday night and watch Link's uh, audition for Irish rugby. Maul, pick, maul, pick, maul, pick. Wow. <laughs> so, 
you know, he's just he's just having a few little digs here and then. And anyhow, he's also he's he's made about. Oh, there's another one. Anybody out here think Christian Sinbin should have been a Brumby's penalty for holding on? Um, so he's making he's a lot of commentary on this game and the lead up to it. Yeah, which is not something I've seen a lot from him. No, he does seem to be uh, yeah, growing into it, doesn't he? Yeah, shit stirring. <laughs> but isn't that great? Because we had the lead up to this game mm. with a bit of niggle. You know, we had talk about the Brumbies and Reds weren't really talking to each other at the logistics camp, and then you know the the war of the stats um, that were bouncing backwards and forwards about who gave away the most penalties, and the Reds were dirty, and <laughs> it was it was you know, it something. Yeah, no, it was great. Actually, it gave us all something to talk about. That's for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and uh, just just to go back to that Izzy Mog thing, I just uh, what I thought was fascinating in the logistics squad when it was announced was it was basically written up in uh, in order of position, um, yeah. and uh, which was which was what I thought was fascinating was when they put James O'Connor outside of Nick White, so that obviously talked about uh, where they seem to be placing him. And like I said, I could I could be reading too much into this. This could have been. I don't know, um, the media man, you know, just put, decided to put the names in order, but I would have thought that, you know, uh, that'd be a bit strange. So the, and the, so the, basically the two people they've got at fullback are Jesse Mogg and Israel Folau, if you read it that way. Um, yeah. well, I read it the same way because yeah. I went through the same thing and looked at those positions and thought, you know, that makes sense, you know, as to where everybody is for it. So Barnes was the second 10. Yeah. Um, but, they then came out after Quake Cooper had been left out and there was the outcry that he wasn't in and said, oh, no, no, it was just a logistics camp. Interesting to hear what James Clipper just told us, that it was more than just photos. They were talking tactics and stats and what they want from the year. If you thought the guy was going to be in your squad, you'd have him in the camp for that, surely. So that tells me that it was more than a logistics camp. It was a very good indication of who the top 30 in, in Robbie's mind are at the moment. Oh, I think for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, I think what they were saying, which they could kind of get away with saying with a reasonable straight face, which is that there is still chance for someone to come back. Um, but you'd have to say, you know, that that was their top 30 for sure. And yeah. and, the, and the way they stacked it, because they've got O'Connor, Barnes and Lele Afano. Um, so you've got at least three people who can play 10 there. Because um, then they've got McCabe and Tapawai, or Tapawai, I should be saying these days. Um, you know, so, and, and, and Lele Lafana. So you've got plenty of cover between 10 and 12 there. You don't, it's not like there's a hole left there that they need another 10. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that as well. But, um, I said there was 400,000 reasons why Izzy might play. Um, talking money in the ARU just today, breaking news. Um, they've dropped a few number bombshells on their site. Uh, you were telling me just before the one that I picked up was the loss, um, which was I think was it so, sort of like um, uh, eight million odd dollars? Is that right? Yeah, eight point three million, which is a which is a massive two point three million improvement from the previous year. All right, so, so meaning it was ten the year before, right? Yeah, ten point five the year before. So they only lost eight, but I mean, there's some mind-boggling numbers going around here because their their actual income was up. Well, the, the revenues for the year, $97 million. That's $21 million higher than 2011. Whew. You know, so this is a, it's a quite a big enterprise. But the, then compare that. Your, your, your revenue has gone up $21 million. 
Now, a lot of that would have been um, from the tours coming in yeah. where they weren't at the Rugby World Cup. Mm-hmm. But still, $21 million you've gone up. Expenditure was up to $100 million. Um, so it's $17 million up. And this is the comment that, that got me. This is uh, Michael Hawker, who's the chairman, saying, while revenues were higher than the previous year, so was expenditure, which was prim- primarily due to our continued investment in the game. Where did the $17 million investment in the game go? Because yeah. actually all they're doing is cutting costs. They're not putting more money into club rugby. Mm. They're cutting back on their national academy costs. So where's this $17 million increase primarily an investment in the game? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, that might have been a term used rather broadly somehow. <laughs> uh, the spin that comes out of the ARU, they must think we're all idiots. Mm, um, that we'll buy that sort of rubbish without mm, asking questions. Mm. Is it Abib lunches? <laughs> <laughs> 17 million can buy a lot. Um, yeah, that, that, they're mind-blowing numbers heading in very strange directions, though, aren't they? You know, to have yep. income go up, your revenue go up that much, but then bl- have just have a blowout in expenditure, which you explain that way um, as being reinvested and no one can see it. Having said all that, though, there's some really interesting participation numbers in there, which I scratch my head about because just about anyone I talk to anecdotally tells me that it's completely opposite. But, you know, apparently participation's, you know, going, in some places going through the roof. Yeah, well, if you look at um, ACT, New South Wales, Western Australia, participation is up, you know, maybe 11% as an average across those three states. Mm. In Victoria, the overall playing numbers are up 71%. Mm. And in Queensland, the overall playing numbers are up 50%. 50%. That's the, I mean, it's great to see that happening in Victoria, um, but obviously it's a smaller base. Uh, you know, seventy percent growth is great, but you know, fifty percent in a state like Queensland—I mean, that's uh, that's huge, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I—I I mean, that—that's massive. Um, I've seen, you know, a fair bit of the stuff going on in Queensland rugby and out in the, you know, the general club scenario. I don't know where that fifty percent's coming from. Well, so here's the thing. I mean, you know, I go to any barbecue these days, and people say, "What do you do?" I say, "Well, you know." Um, you know, we've got green and gold rugby, and they say, "Oh, yeah, tough luck about that." You know, with the, you know, the, with the game dying and everything. You know, it's like you know, everyone's got an anecdote. Um, you know, for you know their son who wanted to play rugby is now playing AFL or da 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 da. Anecdotally, I I just don't get any correlation with those numbers. The only thing I can think is that there's lots of programs run. For example, in Queensland, they have one called Rookies to Reds. Mm. And they get little kids, you know, six, seven-year-olds who go out to Ballymore or the, or the Reds go out to their club. And, you know, they run a little two-hour session, run around the cones, catch the ball, tackle a tackle bag. Is that participation? Are those numbers being counted? Because uh, I know that, that program has been quite successful, but that's not participation. Yeah, almost definitely. In the number counting exercise, I would say yes. Um and I suppose if you're in there, you know, you're trying to talk the game up, so you take everything you can and, and add to it. But, mm. you know, I, I just don't understand in Queensland how we had a 50% participation increase because I know in club rugby land that's not happening. Mm. There are teams dropping out. There are, there are competitions that were there 
two years ago, like the Friday night comps, for example, there used to be two Friday night competitions in Brisbane. Mm. There's only one this year because there just aren't enough teams. Um, there's teams have dropped out, uh, like there's Redlands Club here who used to be in the Brisbane grade competition. Well, they've dropped back to suburban competition because they can't field enough teams. There's Colts, the under-19s, the numbers are way down on that. So I don't understand it unless you've got fudge numbers in there. Well, I just, you know, the thing it can be, though, like we were just saying, is is a, a guy playing, uh, you know, for a club for a whole season and maybe, you know, in some sort of Friday night competition equal to a kid running around for two hours and throwing a ball through a hoop and getting a sausage in a, in a, in a, in a you know, in a bun? Um, as far as participation in rugby, you'd say no, but as far as a tick in a box, I guess you say yes. Yeah, and so when you look at the um, the ARU press release that's gone out, and you're always going to talk it up, if I'm looking through the other key areas of participation, record, 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 there's about 12 records here when you go through all the things like sevens players. Here we go, National Rugby Sevens playing numbers up 150% to 39,000, which is a record. 39,000 people playing sevens in Australia. Are they double counting them? Are they, are they got club guys who are playing club but then go and play in one of the year-end sevens tournaments? That's all, that's that big numbers, aren't they? Where's the 39,000 sevens players? Uh, that, just, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Well, okay, so I think, well, this is definitely something that we need to get uh, stuck into. Um, we are hoping to get the pulverizer onto our 100th podcast. Um, I'll plug away at that. That would be some interesting discussions. But one way or another, I'm sure we can uh, get some people to talk to us about where these numbers come from. Uh, I mean, you know, look, if it's, I'm hoping that it's us just being cynical, right? And, um, you know, that these are really good numbers and actually there's a groundswell happening in rugby that's great. If they're not, and if these are things where people have managed to manipulate things so that, you know, two things look like the same unit but they're, they're not really, or they're kind of fudge numbers, that's a bigger worry because, you know, if, if the game's having troubles, yet people are pumping out numbers and believing these numbers, you know, that's even worse. You know, you're getting yourself, yeah. You, you know, right. you know, because then you at least because then you can't. You're not even doing anything about it because you're patting you're patting yourself on the back, saying, "Hey, look, I've got a book full of great numbers, even though they're not worth anything." So that's what's yep. really worrying. Um, I'll tell you the really worrying number for me out of the whole lot: mm. gross expenditure, one hundred point three million dollars. Where on earth did a one hundred million dollars worth of expenditure from the ARU? This isn't from the states. This is the ARU. Where has that much money gone? God, Every year. It's a lot of money, isn't it? $100 million. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. We can't even blame John O'Neill Chardonnay Ford anymore. He's, he's not there. Um, right. This was 2012, so this isn't the pulverizers doing yet. But oh, that's true. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. So I'm maybe. Just Staggered by that number, a hundred million dollars. The mm. ARU has pumped out somewhere. Wow. Okay. Well, there's a lot of people saying they're not seeing any of it. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll get the annual report and we'll be able to dissect that a little more. Last news tidbit. Uh, it was in the news today. Uh, Diggers um, sounds like he's off. 
Um, have you are you have you heard different rumblings about this or? Well, it's interesting because we had this about six weeks ago. One of the guys on the forum, I haven't been able to dig back and find it. Mm. Uh, and he's from, I think he's from New South Wales, but he might be from Victoria, was having a dig at some of the Reds guys in the forum saying, don't worry about us with our players. I'm hearing rumours that one of your players is leaving because there's been no third-party payments made. And, of course, the Queensland guys came back and said, oh, rubbish, you know, da-da-da. Lo and behold, the story breaks now that the claim was that Digby wants to leave because a third-party sponsor hasn't paid him. Mm. Um, the Reds have come out tonight or this afternoon and denied it point blank. Ewan McKenzie said it's just made up speculation. James Hall has come out because James Hall has also been linked in the same story too. He hasn't been paid by a third-party sponsor. Mm. He's come out and said that's nonsense, that this is just made up, it's not correct. Um, and I've spoken to Digby, and none of this is true. Mm. So, but as I said, somebody in our forum six weeks ago made this point without saying who it was, but specifically said they were unhappy because they hadn't been paid by a third-party sponsor. So there's been something around for a little while. We've heard nothing from Digby, but certainly Queensland Rugby's coming out and saying, this is nonsense. Mm. Well, I mean, whether it was, uh, you know, I'd heard a while ago, stuff linking diggers in Japan. Um, and I think it was even predated this season. Um, and I'd heard those drums beating more loudly again. Uh, so, you know, this kind of plays in with that, but, you know, it sounds like there's a number of different stories flying around. Um, but it does seem to me, I mean, that was a pretty solid story. Um, now, it might not be because of the non-third party thing, whatever, Um but it's you know sounding more and more like Diggers is going to be earning his money somewhere else um, at the end of the season. Yeah, well, the other thing that they came out in the story and said that he wasn't happy that he was suspended for a week for the, the ruckus that happened in the pub in Melbourne, mm. which I then saw somebody um, who's a real supporter of his saying today in you know a condescending sort of manner saying, you know, the poor bloke, his brother's getting hassled, he steps in and diffuses it and gets a week's suspension. So there's some unhappiness out there, obviously. Mm. Um, but who knows? Who knows what's going on? We're getting denials from one side and we're getting the story. Mm. Oh, well. Who okay. broke the story? Was it radio? or well, <laughs> <laughs> The man radio. Um, all right, look, let, let's wrap up. I'm not going to make you do my tips, uh, unlike Timsey, um, which was very useful, actually, listening to his tips last week. Uh, he went the opposite? So I could, yeah, so I could tip around it, um, although it didn't really help me in the end. Um, How did Timsey go, do you know? Uh, he didn't do too badly, did he? Um, so... I think we would have told him to back the Chiefs, so he would have gone wrong there. Yes, that's We true. would have told him to back the Hurricanes, so he would have been good there. Yeah. Um, he would have backed the Reds, so I don't know what happens when you didn't lose, but he didn't get a win there. No. Um, we would have told him Bulls King. So he did go Bulls. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. So he won out there. And then Sh- Cheetahs Sharks. I think he got that one as well, actually, because you guys went Cheetahs and I went Sharks. So there you go. Um, uh, so, yeah, I we, think... We told him to go Cheetahs and he didn't. Is that right? No, no, no. So he lost out. No, no, no. I thought he did go cheaters. 
Oh well, then he won. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I think he. he, he I don't. I haven't had a look. I mean, I, I I don't worry about these things, Scott. Crusaders Highlanders, he would have got that one. Yeah. Jeez, you might be in trouble. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's not a big deal, really. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but looking ahead uh, this coming weekend, uh, so it all kicks off on Friday with the Hurricanes and the Storm. Hurricanes hosting the Stormers at five thirty, um, and then we've got the Reds hosting the Blues. Um, could be a fascinating match this one. Um, I think they generally are anyway, aren't they? But uh, high scoring maybe. Yeah, I, I, there's two teams that are going to go at it and are going to attack. Mm. And I don't think the Brumbies are going. To, uh, sorry, the Reds will go into conservative mode, even though it didn't quite work out for them last week. Mm. Um, I think they'll still crack, uh, have a crack, and the Blues will. So this could be a great game of rugby. Yep. Okay, I look forward uh, to. Look could for- go either way, but yeah. You're going to go with the Reds on that one? Yeah, I think the Reds will get there. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I would be minded that way as well. I think the Blues have shown a few cracks since their early start. Uh, then we've got the uh, Chiefs hosting the Sharks. Um, interesting one, but with the Sharks away and the Chiefs with a lot to prove, I don't know if I'd want to be the guys from Durban. Sharks have also been in ultra-conservative mode this, this season. I find it hard to think they're going to put enough points on the Chiefs. Yeah, I agree. Chiefs will get that. Uh-huh. Brumbies hosting the Force. Um, and we should say the Force managed to get a Force on uh, in, in that match last weekend. Um, will they get one this weekend? Can they be another banana skin, do you think? No. Brumpy's, Brumbies in a canter in this one. Okay. I think I would probably go with that. Although I do like the Force. I think... Geez, they, they grind away. A um, bunch of guys who really do, you know, uh, put their all into it. Um, and then Sunday because, uh, well, like, well, two of them are Sunday because it's um, South Africa. Bulls hosting the Waratahs. <sighs> Talk about test of the new regime. I've got a, I'd love to see them do it. I mean, it's not like the Bulls are fantastic, um, but this, they're going to really test this no-kicking, run-it-from-everywhere thing from the Tars, aren't they? On the high veldt as well, and uh, Morno Stain will just keep kicking it back to them. Yeah. And if they keep trying to run it out, uh, I think good luck. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna pop. I think we might see, hope we might see a little bit of Izzy's boot. See how it travels in, yeah. in in low altitude. I just don't see how else they're gonna survive that one. The Bulls have hit some form too. Thirty-four nil over the Kings last week. So true that. And I read someone saying, "Why haven't they played like this all season?" So. Yeah, the uh, people were talking them up, so... Yeah, mm, okay. Um, yeah, toughy for the Tars there, you would think. Then you got the Cheetahs hosting the Kings. Um, Cheetahs. Yeah, you'd think so. Although, you know, these Safford derbies are always hard to, to, to judge, but um, from what I've seen, I agree. And then uh, Crusaders hosting the Rebels. <laughs> That's a nice one. Is Sterling, Sterling Mortlock playing? There might be a chance, the Rebels, if he is. <laughs> no, but I read during the week, he's coaching there. Yeah, he is, doing some coaching work. Oh, my God. He's, he hasn't done bad. How many games did he actually play for the Rebels in the end? He oh, it wasn't many, was it? No, he's drawn a pretty good wage out of that place. Um, yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, so I think we're, we're tipping the Crusaders there um, pretty strongly. There you go, Timsey. There's your, there's your tips done uh, for you. What about the Highlanders? The nun from seven Highlanders. They should get four points with the bike. God, talk about four from Grace. Oof. Unbelievable. I, I actually thought they might be a bit of a 
a dark horse this year. But... Yeah. Well, you keep you keep thinking, oh, they can't, you know, lose yet another one, and they do. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's one hell of a season shaping up there, <laughs> uh, isn't it? Um, but what else is happening? I, the other thing, I guess, just announcement-wise, was look, we've launched our Lions Running. Um, I think a few other sites and newspapers and stuff went a bit too early. Uh, we've kept our powder dry, and um, there's some good stuff are coming. So, um, you know, already some you know good little mashups and bits and pieces. I know you're going to be looking at some of the games, aren't you, Scott? Um, yeah, I've been watching Lions games at night and making copious notes and setting up some analysis of what used to work back then. Not, uh, it mightn't have much relevance for today, but... It's still interesting. Oh, I'm going to be fascinated to see that. I was actually thinking today about, you know, I'm wondering if I'm just wondering if we can get stats from somewhere. Um, I, you know, I don't remember anyone used to publish it back then. But um, you I'm know, pretty sure the IRB um, have got lion stats. Oh wow! Okay, they've check. got a lot of old stats I've seen on their site before. I'll dig that out. Okay, might have to dig back at that then. In fact, I may have downloaded them once upon a time. Um, so, because yeah, that would just be fascinating again to see how the game's changed and and all the rest of it. But um, you know, I, I wrote, I've written an article in there just talking about there's so much to be excited about. And actually, as I wrote it, I actually found myself getting pumped up um, about it. But you know, it's just this whole you got the Dirt Trackers tour where it's all fascinating about what's building up, and then you know, and then you've got three tests for it to unfold. You know, it's the ultimate kind of tactical you know the chance for the teams and the coaches and the selection oh there's just so much good stuff to happen there um so yep so we've got the run-in happening with that so um keep your eyes out if you haven't already we've got an email uh newsletter that goes out every day and it uh, basically captures those key headlines so you get that delivered to your mailbox, but what we'll also be doing is then, if we've put any new line stuff up, we'll have that linked into that as well, so you don't miss it if, if you uh, subscribe to that. And it's very easy, just press the subscribe button on the website. Um, I think that's about it, mate. Anything else? I think that back covers it. Good one. Alrighty, um, well, thanks everybody for downloading um, and letting it come into your ears again this week. Uh, Look forward to being back next week. Uh, and as actually someone asked, we will be doing more podcasts and stuff around the lines. We've got a bunch of stuff we're planning. Um, so there will be plenty to go around. Don't worry about that. Um, and hopefully see you next week. And uh, hopefully I'll see you next week, Scott. Okay, mate. Look forward to it. We're, I'm always here. <laughs> Good to talk to you, mate. I'll speak, speak to you later. And thanks, everybody. Bye, bye for now. Okay. See you, folks. Yeah. Yeah.